Hello and welcome to the Tech Turt Podcast. I am Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological. So we have better get methodical. Bring in precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. <laughs> okay. I think I have figured out everything on my end. Wow, what a mess. I'm going to just start again, though, for everyone streaming, you get to see all of the mess. Uh, so again, hello and welcome to our, our 300th episode and the Tech Dirt Podcast. I am Mike Masnick, and this is, as you already know, if you're watching this live, something of an experiment. And we are bringing back our original co-hosts, Hirsch Reddy and Dennis Yang. Uh, and also we are experimenting, in theory, with... Uh, at least two new technical ideas for the podcast, one of which is live streaming, which we've already screwed up, uh, which is excellent. And then uh, also the possibility of doing live call-ins. Uh, we'll see if anyone actually uh, is making use of that. Uh, folks who are Patreon backers got a secret link that allows them to uh, request to do a live call-in, and we can test that out later uh, with no promises that any of this will work as you know that's what happens when we're experimenting now as for the topic of today's podcast it has been almost seven years since we first started the podcast and uh, I thought that it might be fun to not necessarily look back at the last seven years of podcast because I frankly I don't remember the last seven years of podcast but rather to discuss in general kind of how our own views uh, about the tech world have changed over the last seven years or so. Uh, and I think that the the general outside worldview on technology has changed quite a bit in the past seven years from what I think was generally positive to a lot more negative. Uh, and I'm curious to see if our own views have changed as well. Uh, probably not as extreme as I think the, the public's views have been. But uh, And to some extent, I think to get into that discussion, it brings up some of the I guess, untold history of this podcast and how it started. Uh, while I'm going to, uh, I guess, throw modesty aside and assume that most people listening or watching this uh, know who I am, we never actually introduced uh, either Hirsch or Dennis in any meaningful way. We just jumped in from the beginning and had you guys as co-hosts and occasionally sort of hinted at, at things that you were working on, uh, but, but never actually introduced you. And people might not have known uh, who you are. Now, I've known both uh, Hirsch and Dennis for almost 30 years. I was realizing as we were getting this uh, ready. <laughs> it's been that long. It has been that long. I know. It's scary. Uh, we uh, all met in college uh, many, many, many years ago. And over the past three decades, we've spent lots and lots of time uh, discussing and debating all sorts of topics, uh, sometimes very loudly in restaurants. Hirsch, I think we almost got thrown out of a pizza place at one point arguing about copyright uh, and sometimes over very long text messaging threads and sometimes in podcasts. So it was at some point during all of these discussions, we decided that it might be fun to record some of these discussions and uh, mainly Hirsch and I arguing. <laughs> and so that, that was how the podcast itself uh, 
began. Am I too agreeable, Mike? Is that what? I'm not saying that you're too agreeable, but you're you're you you bring a different perspective to the podcast. Um, and uh, I think when we started the podcast, it was also true that both both Hirsch and Dennis had a lot more free time on their hands, uh, and that changed over time, and it became harder and harder to find time to schedule uh, where we could record all three of us. Uh, and so I sort of took over just doing the podcast and interviewing you know, interesting people in the tech and policy world. Uh, but, uh, reproducing will do that. Yes. (laughs) Having kids will do that. But, uh, you know, but the three of us have continued to argue just in back to back to just doing it over text messages. Um, but, uh, I, I did want to, to, uh, make sure that we introduced everyone. So, uh, I also want to give each of you a chance to introduce yourselves. So, uh, Hirsch, do do you want to just explain who you are? (laughs) Well, I guess, um, I'll make it brief. Uh, I guess my background is as a, uh, a developer programmer. Um, that's what I was out of school. And then I took a hi- a short hiatus, short, maybe long hiatus, maybe about 10 years. I, I went to law school and worked as a lawyer in Silicon Valley, um, for, uh, both big firms and then my own firm. And then as a general counsel at a startup. And then now after doing that whole circuitous detour, being a lawyer, I'm back to being a developer again, um, working at a startup. So <laughs> I guess that kind of summarizes who I am. Um, I don't, I don't know. If yeah. you want to, I'm married. I've got two kids. That's <laughs> relevant for this <laughs> podcast. No, I, I thought it was good because, you know, we've referred in, in past podcasts. I mean, we talked, I think when we started, you were still technically a, uh, a patent attorney. And so we, yeah. we sometimes referenced you as a patent attorney. And then at other times we talked about you working on a startup with, with drones yeah. and, and all sorts yeah. of other stuff. And obviously I, you, you, I, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I really, it's, it's funny now looking back on my career now, but I was really a patent, a pure patent attorney for a relatively short amount of time, probably like about three years. And then I just became more of kind of a general corporate startup attorney doing lots of different things. Like when you work in house for a company, you, yeah. um, you, you, you touch a lot of different kinds of uh, areas of law, not just intellectual property. And, um, I, I guess that it's better for a podcast, maybe not so good for a career though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then Dennis. So, yeah, so for me, uh, so my, my brief history, you know, grew, grew up in Ohio, went to school with both of you at upstate New York, and then I've been out here in San Francisco since 97. Um, started off my career in, you know, tech consulting, but very quickly joined, you know, since 97 was a good time to be out here. Um, the first of the f- kind of the five startups that I've been at um, early phase. So I've been twice a ninth employee. Um, and then three times a co-founder. So either zero or nine is sort of my startup <laughs> experience. Um, and, you know, started off my career as an engineer and then eventually moved over to product management. But, you know, early phase, you're kind of really wearing a lot of multiple hats um, and been fortunate enough to be doing that out here in San Francisco, you know, which has been the right place to do it. So, you know, um, always been close to what's kind of new and exciting and really been curious about, um, you know, where technology plays into these opportunities that we've all been working on. Um, and then most recently I joined, I joined, you know, my first kind of, uh, joining company since college. Um, and I'm working at a larger kind of, uh, fintech startup now. So, um, 
that's my and, history. Yeah. And of course, one one of the companies you helped found was TechDirt. So that's right. And so, you helped build build <laughs> the original TechDirt back many many years ago. Many many years ago, before MySQL even had the concept of a key. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of fun history there, yeah. uh, some of which we discussed, I think, on Podcast 100. I think the, so. The sort of yeah. founding of, of TechTurk. Um, so, so the things I, I wanted to discuss were, were just generally, um, you know, how you think your own views have changed over the last seven years, if any, right? So the world has gone from, from this position of, you know, hey, tech is cool and we, we want to, you know, founders are cool and they get to go on the covers of magazines to, you know, what just happened earlier today as we're recording where like Congress is going to rake tech companies over the coals and talk about how evil they are and prepare all sorts of bills to, to try and deal with the tech companies. So I'm kind of curious as the, the public's view on the tech industry has changed, whether or not your own views have changed. Um, is that directed at either one of us? It can go to either one, but uh, Hurst, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, I think the set of companies that we consider tech companies has kind of broadened a little bit. Um, it used to be you were a tech company if you were if your primary business was writing software. But now I find the press and the public are kind of putting companies into sort of the tech basket um, if the companies themselves just kind of label themselves tech companies. Like, for example, is Netflix really a tech company or is it more like a movie studio? You know, it just it feels maybe in the early days it was a tech company, but now it just kind of feels more like it's it's just um, a I mean, what's the difference between Netflix and HBO, right? And do we call HBO a tech company? Or what about Disney for that matter, right? Um, they, they both basically produce movies and then you've got to have a streaming service. It's kind of lower, lowest common denominator. Um, and similarly, there's, you know, is Amazon a tech company? I think probably there's a stronger argument there because of AWS and all this stuff. But if they didn't have AWS and they were just the retail arm, does that make them a tech company? I, I feel like I'm leaving aside the the issues about whether they have too much market domination and things like that. That's separate from them being a tech company. Maybe we should argue about like, is it okay to allow Amazon to own this many distribution warehouses and own so much of the vertical, right? And run it under one roof. You know, there's different kinds of issues there, but are they really tech issues? I mean. Mazik, if you and I were to sit down and, and to talk about what the top tech issues are, we would probably be discussing things like, um, you know, what kind of liability should a website have for uh, content posted by users? That might be an issue. Or mm -hmm. we might talk about things like encryption, right? Like what role is there in encryption and should the government be allowed to sort of have a backdoor key? I mean, there'd be these kinds of questions, but those aren't really the questions that are raised when we're talking about the evils of tech, right? As it comes out in the press, then it's more just kind of, it just feels just like people are calling it tech problems, but really they're just more like general economy issues. So when you say, so when you, to get back to your question, yeah. like to circle it back, uh, you know, does it, is, 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 is tech more demonized than it is? Is it more demonized now than it was before? If you take my definition, no. Because like, 
no, you know, it's not like encryption or all these things have really become like a big issue. Uh, I think what's really um, at the forefront of everybody's mind and, and you know, the House and the Senate is these certain companies that have leveraged software to get way ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is just now catching up to them. And those companies that have succeeded in doing that, how to bring them under control. But I, 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 I feel like that's more like a societal problem and not a tech problem. Yeah, so I, th- I, think, I think there are a few different things that you brought up that are sort of worth picking apart and, and sort of separating them out, which is to some extent, I think you're right that like every company today is a tech company, right? So like the, the distinction of the tech industry as if it's a unique industry now is a little bit weird because there are very few companies or industries that are not somehow driven by technology these days. And so it's a little weird to sort of say, you know, what is the tech industry? Um, you know, in, in sort of the popular discussion about big tech, if we're going to call it, call it big tech, it is about, you know, a specific set of internet companies and that's Google, Facebook, Amazon, and then Apple, which are they an internet company or, you know, so all of the lines are a little bit blurry. And then some people want to throw Netflix in there though. I don't even understand like how you throw Netflix in with those other four companies, especially since, as you noted, you know, it's like, what about Disney, right? Like, how is how is HBO different than Netflix or Disney different than or, Netflix? And for that matter, if you're going to throw, um, you know, Amazon in there, should you throw Microsoft in there? I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's it's like it's a huge question. And then like, I mean, people have been joking about the fact that like Microsoft is just kind of sitting in the in the corner being like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Like as everybody's yelling at these other companies, you know, but you know, Microsoft did this voodoo trick on us, right? Because remember, we all were so paranoid about Microsoft's market (laughs) position with regard to platforms and all these things. And then they got this new CEO, Satya Nadella, and then he just kind of pulled this voodoo trick where like now everybody's like, oh, Microsoft is the best. Like they're enabling open collaboration. <laughs> VS Code runs on every platform. They're enabling everybody. They're like the they're popular with open source. They're like adopting right. JavaScript for the desktop. It's just like everybody's like, whoa, Microsoft. And I'm like, how this this is and Google's the evil company now. Yeah. It's like what? Um, I, I, what would, you know, it's that line everyone always uses. Uh, if you live long enough, then you'll become the villain sort of thing. Um, yeah. Am yeah. I even saying that right? I think I'm. <laughs> it, but um. So, uh, so Dennis, what, what's, you know, there, there are a bunch of other things that, that I can pick apart from what Hirsch just said. Sure. What, what's, what's your position on all this? I mean, I think so. Um, the way, the way I like to think about this is, you know, when we all started, you know, like years ago, like I've been out here for 20 years, um, you know, we didn't, aspire to move to the San Francisco to work, quote, in tech, right? And this is something that I've talked with my wife, who's also in, quote, in tech, is that we didn't move out here to pursue this whole concept. It wasn't like a four-letter word. Um, And at some point, it kind of shifted so that, you know, her cousin was like, man, I wish I worked in tech too. And as you point out out now, it, it doesn't even make any sense. And I think that the shift I've definitely seen is when we first moved out here in 97 and 98, you know, um, there wasn't this perspective that, you know, we were here to join something that was kind of all going this huge business opportunity. I think there was more of like a curiosity thing that was going on. There was definitely the web was around. And I think that's the transformational shift that I've seen, which is like people are seeing this almost as like a, 
I don't, I don't know like if I agree with that. Did you do something there? Yeah, like, I it mean, was an exciting like, kind of move here in, in you know, 20 years ago. Because um, we, we both moved out at about the same time. I mean, yeah. you came out about a year before I did. Oh. Um, and... But there was definitely a discussion, right? I mean, this was. But it like, wasn't. It wasn't as like huge, definitely, as it is now. Sure. I mean, obviously, like now. I mean, just the size of the companies and the success stories and the fact that they are like the biggest companies in the world, mm-hmm. effectively, is different than what it was. But there was, you know, there was tremendous buzz about Netscape and Yahoo. Yes. And and there was this feeling there was of buzz. like. <laughs> there was buzz and there was like smart people's mm-hmm. rushing out to Silicon Valley to join the next hot startup. And that that still happened. So I, you know, I, I think there's a difference of, of degree and kind of the nature of these companies and the nature of startups today. Um, it's it's a very different world than it was 20 years ago. Yes. Um, but, you know, I still see some of the same sort of thinking and the same sort of opportunism that that led to that and, and you know and of course it goes through cycles right i mean we came out in 97 98 and, and right. then there was the the, the original dot-com bubble and then yep. that burst and then suddenly everyone left silicon valley and it was empty for like five years and and there was like the fun times are over kind of bit mm. and then then suddenly it came back and like so there is this question of like how cyclical is all of this stuff um and whether or not that matters but, you know, I, I think that the bigger question to me is not not even so much how, how has the valley changed, you know, in the past 25 years, but really like just, you know, how has our view. Uh, so why don't I narrow it down since we're yeah. sort of jumping around to a bunch of different things. But why don't I we, why don't we just focus on the Internet itself and, mm-hmm. and the view of the Internet and how that has changed. And and, and I'm asking two. I'm talking about two different things. Right. So I think we can say pretty definitively that the general public sentiment towards the internet is not as positive as it was, I'll say, 10 years ago. I started out as seven. I'll push it back 10 to to make this. I I want to disagree with that. Because that's kind of like saying that the general, the public's general opinion about electricity is not. (laughs) I don't don't think that's what the case is, right? Like when people talk about the internet, like like you, I think, correctly pointed out before, there's a handful of companies that people kind of, think of being synonymous with the internet. Um, a lot of people, when they get onto Facebook, the Facebook app, they think about it as I'm on the internet. But actually, you're in a Facebook app. You're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, or you're on, you know, you see what I'm saying? You're on WhatsApp, whatever it is. But that's not really the internet, right? Like the internet. So I don't think anybody, for example, is up in arms or irritated about the fact that their Nest camera stores the video in the cloud, right? Or that email, that they can email their doctor. That, yeah. so okay. I, I withdraw that example, but but I mean the general util. I'll give you one good example, right? Like um, uh, I, I have a relative that uh, during COVID uh, got sick, and she uh, was worrying about oh I got to go to the doctor and how am I going to do this and this and that. And then um, another relative was just like why don't you just jump on Zoom? I'm sure he has Zoom meet, um, Zoom appointments. And she's like what's Zoom? And then she downloaded Zoom and sure enough there was like Zoom appointments. So she's like this is amazing. I'm never going to go back to the doctor's office because she lives in kind of a rural area and the doctor's office is 45 minutes away and she really just needs to talk to him. He doesn't she doesn't need like physical examinations for her um, condition. 
that nobody is complaining about that kind of thing, right? Like that's not like so. That's the internet. Um, whether it be all, your ring doorbell or all these other things that are enabled or, or video streaming, right? Like I don't think people are mad about the fact that like you can watch any Disney movie ever by paying. <laughs> What's a quick, what, $6 a month? Is that what it is now when you have a special for Disney Plus? It's, it's amazing because my, my, in my parents' generation, they would have to sit there investing in DVDs or VC, uh, um, um, videotapes, whatever it is, at like $30 each or $25, right? And your kids would be like, I want to see Little Mermaid. And then they had to go to Walmart. And, right, you, and now it's just like $6, anything you want, yes. kid. Just leave me alone, right? Like, so so um, nobody, I don't think people are complaining about that. And, and then as much as people hate Amazon, take Amazon out of the equation. How cool is it that I can get a delivery from like Target? Or, mm-hmm. you know, Safe Mart or all, any of these places or a farmer's market. I just somebody was just uh, talking to me about uh, a company that they are um, an advisor in, which which basically puts regular farmer's market farmers on the Internet. And you can like subscribe to boxes from these little farms. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. Like th- nobody's really complaining about that. So when you're saying when you're saying, oh, hey, people are, are you know. There's this feeling about the internet. It is about these. Let's narrow it, right? Sure. And I'm not saying it's the same companies in every country. I'm sure like in India, it's a different set of irritations. And, and maybe in China, the irritation is the CPC, you know, Communist Party of China and their wall. Like It's going to be a different set of irritations, but it's all going to boil down to an entity, whether private or public, having what people feel is just too much power over their lives, mm-hmm. right? But, but that, I think that's sort what of, it is. you're sort of complaining about the same... You're, you're happy with and complaining about the same thing, the same entities that are providing these amazing improvements mm-hmm. to your life, mm-hmm. right? So you're yeah. happy that you're able to FaceTime your family, but you're not happy that it's controlled by Apple, right? Because of mm-hmm. this big tech company, you're happy that you can get a product delivered to your doorstep within a day of ordering it, but you're unhappy that Amazon has all this power. Yeah. So is it yeah, you're happy think- with the, the results, but you're not happy with this con- concept that the power is amassed within these kind of singular entities that are apparently powerful? Or is that like what isn't that sort of ironic or not? <laughs> no, I think I think but I think there's something there that is interesting. And I think that is the point. And like over and over again, there have been these studies and surveys that have shown that like, yeah, people love the services of these companies. And and like they're some of the the highest rated consumer satisfaction Right. Uh, you know, ratings are for these companies that at the same time, if you ask for like the general opinion of, you know, what do you think of these companies as entities, people are really distrustful of them. And so I think I think the way you sort of square that is you say people like the service, but they're distrustful of having to give up as much information as they give up to these companies and the power that those companies then have because they're sort of, you know, so large and so in control of these things. And I think, I, they, by the way, like yeah. having like now spent some time during COVID with people that are not from Silicon Valley, uh, like more time than ever before in the past over Zoom and things like that. Um, outside of Silicon Valley and some very policy focused folks like you and Dennis, um, Every I don't find that most people are even aware of their privacy concerns or the information yeah. thing, much less worrying about it. Like, well, I, I think uh, I, I, and I think choice, that's a fair yeah. Yeah. That, that's a fair statement too. I think that like th- there are a few different elements here, and one is that like there isn't there is a part of the sort of tech lash narrative that I think is very much driven by the media that that the media has decided that like you know 
these companies are bad and and, and certainly some mm-hmm. some politicians as well and it, it just becomes sort of a convenient uh, thing and the fact that like even at the beginning of this discussion we had trouble defining what do we what do we even mean by tech I think yeah. sort of highlights that right yeah. the the sort of tech lash aspect of it is this kind of like we need to blame something and we're just right. going to say it's big tech you know right um, but and you, and you can you can see that sort of narrative building like I, I saw that around Theranos which I, mm-hmm. first of all I struggle to call it a, a tech company. And then they, they keep making these stories about how it's a failure of Silicon Valley. But then if you look at the company and who participated in it, it's like all these old world uh, <laughs> sources of capital, like the Murdoch family and, you know, founders of like Walmart and things like that. But it's not none of the big VC firms in Silicon Valley were part of that. And I didn't see anybody that was like a big Silicon Valley advisor or even like Silicon Valley lawyers weren't really participating in that company. So. How is that suddenly a Silicon Valley tech company? It, it's simply that they're defined it that way. And if you're going to do that, you might as well call like, like, why don't you just call Bernie Madoff a tech uh, fraud too, right? At that point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if he had been based ridiculous. in, if he had been based in San Francisco, they probably would have, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, I, I mean, I think that is making a good point, and also gets back to like. I think the tech lash is kind of, you know, however anyone defines it. Um, but so, so we've sort of gone down a tangent and I, and I want to get back to the point that I, that I tried to raise as the opening question here that we have not answered, which we've, we've got, you've just pushed back on the premise. <laughs> so ignore whether or not there is a tech lash that is for real or not. And ignore whether or not the public believes one thing or, or not. I want to get down to have your views changed over the last, I'll say, decade to make it easier. Have your views on what what should be happening in the technology world, what is happening in the technology world, have they changed in the last decade? I think my views have changed, um, but I think it's less to do with um, some changing circumstances in tech and more just me getting older, maybe. and. Um, so I think early on I was much more kind of laissez-faire about um, private companies and sort of their power being sort of much more libertarian saying like, you know, let them do what they're going to do. Um, I'm a little bit more, um, I would, I, I'm still against intervention generally from the government because I think a lot of times they do the wrong thing and they make problems worse. Uh, they'll introduce some regulation for the little guy, but just ends up cementing the bigger guys in position yeah. and that kind of thing, right? Um, but having said all of that, I am more sympathetic now to the to good. Well, how often do you get good regulation? But I am more sympathetic to proposals of regulation that um, consider putting some rules of the road in place. Like for example, early on, I was even against um, having uh, n- you know network neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm more pro-network neutrality now because I see that there's so many things in the market that prevent new ISPs from forming and all the other things that are supposed to be safeguards against abuse by the existing ISPs, right? Most places only have one ISP. So how are you supposed to leave that ISP and get another ISP when they do something abusive, like block YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things. Uh, and then when you, when you actually dig in and see why isn't there another ISP, it turns out it's government rules. So it's like if there's no government rules, maybe we'd have more competition. So maybe we need... Some, uh, Network neutrality is a band-aid to prevent the other issue, right? Um, 
so so those kinds of things have made me sort of more sympathetic to people in D.C. and also probably being a lawyer, right? Like so, I'm when you start going to the Hill and start talking to people who work for senators and, and Congress people, then you start to have a little bit more sympathy for uh, the plight that they're in. So, someone could be completely sympathetic to a particular view that I hold about, for example, to go back to the example, that it's very hard to start an ISP as a mom and pop shop in a small town for various reasons, state level reasons, federal reasons. But and someone might want to solve that problem. But there's so many different things that get in the way of that congressperson or senator who even who wants to solve that problem from solving it. Right. And those kinds of things have made me more sympathetic um, towards these really large <laughs> uh, efforts to do regulation um, because sometimes the status quo isn't what people think. It's not like a free market to begin with. There's a lot of losers in the status quo, right? Um, so those kinds of things, I, I, I've become more sympathetic. Well, I, let me put it this way. I read more carefully now instead of just saying this is a bunch of bullshit. You know? So, <laughs> um, so I, I guess that, that's changed for me when it comes to tech, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll make our arguments less interesting. <laughs> no, but I, I, think, I think there is something interesting there, which is, you know... Uh, I'm not sure if, if my leanings have gone the same way. I still tend to think that like, though there are some similarities, right? I mean, like in there, and I've, ri I've written about this in, in the past where I was, I was against net neutrality rules um, early on, mainly because I thought the government would mess them up and, and would, would actually step in and make things worse and, and not really solve problems, but would cement in existing problems. And I had always argued that, you know, the only reason net neutrality was was a discussion in the first place was because we didn't have competition, and so I had argued for for other putting in place other policies that would encourage more competition at the network level. Um, but you know, then over time, I realized like there wasn't that wasn't happening. There was no competition, mm -hmm. uh, or very very little competition, and therefore net neutrality was kind of a stand-in. I, I would have preferred that there was a, a setup. Where and and the other thing too was that like the net neutrality rules that that came in place under the Wheeler FCC during the Obama administration I thought were extremely light touch that they were really just kind of saying rules of the road mm -hmm. you can't block content uh, as an ISP uh, and and those made sense and they weren't these sort of onerous regulations that would lock in anything in particular of course those are now gone so who knows <laughs> mm -hmm. but. Um, you know, but I still think that like, I still do worry about every time the government tries to meddle in these things. And like, we just see over and over again, even if like the situation now is bad, the government proposals almost always, and it's, it's really frustrating to me, yeah. almost always are going to make them worse. And, and so often, especially now that you have these competing concerns, you know, that contradict with one another, but people don't, don't, the politicians certainly don't seem to realize it. So they talk about things like putting in place privacy laws or changing yeah. the intermediary liability laws. And then at the same time, they're complaining about antitrust and, and how much yeah. competition. And so you say, okay, but if you put in place these new rules that increase liability around privacy or around, you know, just intermediary liability for speech on your platform, you know, only the biggest companies are going to be able to handle that liability. And so you're yeah. locking in the, those Incumbents, large companies yeah. that, that mm -hmm. you're, you're mad at. And we've already seen this with the GDPR right. in, in the EU. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. right, where they put in place these rules. And you look, and it's like Google and Facebook took those rules and said, this is a, this is a pain. It's going to cost us hundreds of millions of dollars to comply with. But they did that. And then all these like smaller advertising players disappeared from the market. And yeah. so, you know, I worry about that aspect of it. Like, you know, I think I think there are sort of two two, and this is probably too reductive and and dismissive. But like, there are sort of two approaches to internet regulations right now. You have the people who are well-meaning, but ignorant, <laughs> or eh, that's that's not fair. That's a little too mean. They're well-meaning. They're well-meaning. Uh, they don't sorry? consider second order effects as all exactly what you're right. Yeah. They're, they're well meaning, they but they don't simplify solutions too. Right. Right. They don't. They don't recognize sort of the the wider impact of what it is that the, that they're proposing. Yeah. But they mean well. And then you have the people who are just you know sure. cynical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just well, not sort of, cynical, but also know, just well, performing. Yeah. They they have they have a an agenda that they think plays well, and they think that you know proposing certain rules or legislation sounds good and sounds protective and i think that's and 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 when we talk when we talk about tech regulation a lot of times um we do as we saw at the beginning of the show we don't really have a good working definition of what it is and so I'll, i'll just attempt to sort of summarize how local politicians talk about it in the bay area it seems to me that a working definition of what a tech company is is a company and don't laugh because I'm going to I'm going to be serious about this. Uh, it's going to sound humorous like I'm making a joke, but I'm being serious about this. It is a company in which people um, can wear T-shirts to work. It gives you they give you meals. You get stock options usually. Um, and um, you have a website that's nice and you talk about kind of changing the world. That's really kind of because that's the commonality. Because if you look at the kinds of like Theranos, uh, Tesla, uh, a company that's making essentially what's a meal replacement powder, right? Um, uh, artificial meat companies, artificial you know seafood companies. Some, some somebody recently called uh, in my presence a company that sells direct to consumers um, women's clothing, right? Uh, which, by the way, they manufacture, I, I believe, in like the Midwest somewhere, not overseas, which which I think is commendable. A tech company, and I'm like, they have a website and they sell clothes. Like, is it is it is it is it like you know is it a Shopify website? Does that make them a te- like that doesn't make any sense? My dry cleaner has a, a website. Is, is she a tech company? Like, and so like so it really is in the eye of the beholder and and I think the number one thing that makes you a tech company is if you're good at, if you're providing so much value to customers that you're successful and money starts pouring in so that you bring in a foosball table or something like that <laughs> then it's you're fucked man then you're definitely a tech company like you you could be a dentist's office and you got the fucking foosball table and your the receptionist is wearing a t-shirt well fuck you then, man. <laughs> that's fuck that's you because you're a tech company you're you're like gentrifying the neighborhood or something. <laughs> um, but but I mean like so that's it, it, it's it's a little if you don't have a working definition of what it is then it's very hard to um, to to even begin to sort of talk about like well what like why is there so much a backlash against tech yeah. because a lot, some of it is at this high level very high minded kind of stuff like you're talking about Masnick like like stuff about privacy, market concentration, etc. But a lot of it is very much like 
who are these people in this fancy office mm-hmm. in the same space that my grocery store used to be? But now they're coming in. They have their Mac laptops, and like you see what I'm saying. Yeah, and but I, I their, mean that that's part of it too. It's just changes the landscape of where people are, and and um, those people are, are not stressed out, right? Like they're yeah. they're they're doing well. And I, and I actually think, by the way, like people outside of the tech industry tend to glamorize what, what those 20 year olds are doing in the tech industry. Right. Sometimes it's not that glamorous. You know Most of I mean? the time. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they could be working long hours in those t-shirts and they might, they might have a Mac book, but they might be miserable with that Mac book, right? Like, Cause the Slack messages are going off continuously. They're fucking depressed about it. You see what I'm saying? Like, no, so that, it's the, not that great to be, I'll, I'll give you an example. <laughs> There, there was this, a. This a, sounds like. I yeah, mean, that sounds not horrible, Hirsch. Yeah, I know. You're, you're making it like, oh, you know, well, they have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah sure, they get really to wear nice. a t shirt to work, but maybe they're miserable. <laughs> yeah. No, but what I'm saying is, like, let me give you an example, right? I, uh, I have this relative who um, graduated from a school in the Midwest, didn't do very well academically, wanted to move to the West Coast, couldn't get find a job in tech, couldn't, couldn't get an internship in any of the big tech companies, ended up working for this small real estate firm, right? And really did well, like worked really hard. And it, it probably didn't hurt that we had one of the greatest real estate run-ups. And he, since he knew the industry and basically lived hand to mouth and invested in properties himself, which became rental properties. So this kid's like not even 30 yet and worth, on, at least on paper with his assets, like several million dollars, right? Just from working hard and being in real estate and the real estate, you know, expanding. And he's like, uh, he's, he, he was talking to me and he was like, oh, I still regret not getting into a startup. It would have been so awesome. I'm like, bro, like, do you understand that you are better off than 90% of the kids I know who went into startups, even those sure. who were like programmers? He has complete financial freedom. Like the dude just can go and work from anywhere, vacation, whatever. His rental incomes are still coming in. Every once in a while, he wants to make more money. He goes and like represents some houses and sells some houses. He, he really knows how to do that, right? Um, and I'm like, dude, you like learn to trade, which, you know, I don't want to speak for the real estate industry. Maybe there'll be a crash and he'll be out on his ass and we'll have to like figure out another trade. But what I'm saying is like, how many kids do you know sure. that are in a startup that ends up lasting for a decade anyways? They're all out on their asses eventually, right? And <laughs> and and this and so you you you, you kind of have to be flexible yeah, no matter I, what career you choose. I mean, you choose. so you're right. Like there is there is an element of status involved in exactly in, in, in sort of tech and startups. It's status. But, yeah. But so, so I'm, I'm still going to try and bring this back around to the, to the original question. I'm, go, I'm going to talk a little bit about, I think, what, what at least my perspective, something that I think I've sort of changed in my perspective over the past, I would say probably, probably in the seven years since, since we started the podcaster show, which is like, you know, I think that I am still at heart sort of generally optimistic about the technology industry and that I think that that overall that there's a lot of good that the tech industry has done, that technology has brought us all these things. And I think that's become really, really clear during the pandemic, you know, for, for all of the complaints about it, you know, the fact that we're able to, to do this, to have this and, and stream this and, and have, you know, conversations in that, like, for many of us, certainly not for everyone. And certainly there were lots of people who had a lot of struggles because of the pandemic. But for many people, we could just sort of like, you know, instead of going into an office, just work from home and, and be able to do amazing things and, and get stuff delivered to our door and do all these things. I think all of that is, is wonderful. I think that I am now, though, 
somewhat more sympathetic to the idea that there are also consequences to all of this. And I think that initially, and for a long time, I was a lot more dismissive of that. And I was, I was less open to the idea that there are negative consequences and that there are some downsides to all of this. And, and trying to figure out how those things balance is the thing that I think has become really important. And, you know, I, I sort of, you know, in the, in the context of Facebook in particular, I've been sort of using this framework lately of like thinking about how much of the, the complaints that, that people have about Facebook. And I'm just talking about the people who do have complaints about Facebook, you know, recognizing that many people don't care. The people who do, how many of the complaints that they have are really about, um, Facebook shining a, a light or, or putting a mirror up to something bad that was in society that we just didn't see before, and now we see it, and we're blaming Facebook for it. How much of it is Facebook enabling something good that, that we like, and how much of it is, is Facebook actually accelerating something bad in society? And I think early on, and until probably relatively recently, I didn't really believe that there was much, if anything, that Facebook or some of these other sites were contributing to that were, were making parts of society worse. And I'm not as convinced of that anymore. And I'm open to the idea that there are some elements of what these companies do that have negative consequences and trying to figure out how do we separate those out and how do we try and minimize those negative consequences and focus on promoting the good stuff that comes out of it. And, and for a long time, I think I was too dismissive of the idea that there were any negative consequences to these companies. Yeah, I would, I would sort of agree with that in, the, in terms of like where my views have shifted in the past seven years is similar. Right? I think as someone involved in, in early startups, to me, like, it, w it didn't matter as much like the unintended consequences as long as the company survived. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the argument there was always like, yeah, we didn't intend for these negative consequences, but if we focused on them, then we wouldn't survive, which then would make the negative consequences moot. Right. That was always like a, <laughs> that was always like a thing like, Oh yeah, someone could use, you know, and my, my favorite saying that I always used to say is you don't, we don't solve problems that we wish we wish we had. We think we might have, we solve problems we currently have. Right. Right. And I think, you know, over the past seven years, seeing how, you know, the thing is startups move very quickly. So the negative consequences that you think might happen end up happening more quickly because things move more quickly in this space than yeah. previous. And, so and, I think and, that's and, the difference is that we need to concern with ourselves with them at a sooner level. Um, and I would love, here's, here's the, the problem, right? Like the success and survival of a company is is dependent on this kind of like fundraise cycle and also revenue such that like you survive survival is always still the number one goal, but how do we actually structure this ecosystem such that, you know, concerns like this was larger societal concerns, larger negative consequences. How do we actually structure so that companies will survive if they pay attention to these other things? And I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think that there is, there is an important point that you sort of, you mentioned, but kind of rushed over a little bit there. And, and I want to just call it out. Not, not, I'm not yeah, criticizing, okay. but like, you know, you're, you're making the point that like, when you're in these startups, you know, people might realize early on, like, oh, if this goes this way, this, this could create negative consequences. But the, the, often the first reaction is like, we are a 15 person startup and we are struggling to survive. The chances are this is never going to go anywhere at all. So like preparing for like, the fact that we might, you know, inspire 
genocide somewhere is really not at the top of the priority list because the likelihood and the probability of that actually becoming an issue is so low. And the much more important and much more immediate thing is like, we need to survive. And so it, it is really difficult for people to, to even recognize that. And so you are running so hard all the time just to keep things moving that, you know, by the time you realize like, yeah, oh, hey, like maybe we did contribute to genocide. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's often you don't, too late. You don't, you don't come, you know, uh, enable a genocide kind of accidentally when you're growing. It happens when you already have scale and you have billions of people on your platform or mil- at least hundreds of millions. And then you should have the resources to do something. Well, yes, yes and no. There's, there's, mean, a, there's, a, yeah, there's, there's a playbook right scale, There's smaller scale negative consequences at the early phase of these companies that you're like, oh, that was bad. Um, Okay, but it's only one person. But then, at what point does it become a scale that you need to address? It, right. right, and and so you know, I mean, the the genocide reference generally is like everyone always brings up Myanmar and and what happened with Facebook there, and like, and even then, like. You can kind of see how how it plays out. This is certainly not to defend <laughs> uh, anything having to do with that. <laughs> Just to be very clear and on record on that. But like, you know, you can see how in that case, like Facebook was obviously very large and successful at that point, but they were still growing at a massive clip. And they were focused on other markets, right? You know, what is happening in this one small country you know, halfway around the world from Facebook's headquarters seems a lot less important. And, and there are all of these big problems taking place in the US, in the EU, in India, in, in Brazil, and all of these sort of larger markets that it's easy to see how that got missed, right? And the, there, were, there were language issues involved. There were all these other issues involved that I can see how it's, the, it's, it's on a different scale and it's a different setup, but I can see how, it, how you get to that same point. Well, let, me, let me say one more thing about that though, right? Like, I, I don't know about the Yanmar, the exact mechanism about how the genocide happened, but I am familiar being sort of ethnically Indian of the kinds of things that happen in India. And in India, a lot of times these kinds of mobs get together on WhatsApp. Yeah, And WhatsApp isn't a, really a social network so much as a messaging service. And there's lots of options. There's even homegrown WhatsApp options that operate exactly like WhatsApp. And WhatsApp operates in India with the blessing of the government. And if the government re- removes their blessing, then WhatsApp can be kicked out of the app store there. Okay, They've done it to other apps, uh, most famously with TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. because they have beef with China. So... Let's say WhatsApp was even aware. First of all, all the communication is supposed to be encrypted. And you're not supposed to be snooping as what as Facebook, WhatsApp in the communication of your customers. But let's say they were able to do that. They had listeners. If you start censoring the speech of the ruling party, right? And who, by the way, some of the people in the ruling party are involved in this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Then this recently happened with Twitter where they like deplatformed somebody from the ruling party who said some things that were demonstrably false. And now Twitter is in all kinds of shit. Like like the government's trying to like, you know, put all these like regulations on them, essentially trying to force them out, right? Um, so the question then becomes, if Twitter gets forced out of India, how hard is it to replace Twitter? And I hate to burst everyone's bubble in Silicon Valley. Like everyone says like, oh, it's so hard to like build Twitter. Yeah, it's probably hard to build Twitter the way with all the full features of Twitter, but it's not hard to rebuild Twitter from like 2006. You know what I mean? Sure. Like 
it, it will be a, a crap version of Twitter, but it will still do the basic functions that people need. And and there are sort of right. open source platforms yeah. out there that Mastodon, just, etc. Sure. Right. And 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 the same goes with WhatsApp. And so yeah. um, you know, there's there's like WhatsApp versions in India that are run by people that are. Um, I'm not going to call them sympathetic because then I'll probably get hate mail. But but they are at least less sensitive to um, these minority related issues as WhatsApp is and Facebook. So yeah. it's almost like Facebook is probably around the world. I know people in America think this is crazy, but it's probably a better steward yeah. of the of the social networks and the WhatsApp. And oh, I would say the same absolutely. for Twitter. Then most of these other companies that would step into the vacuum. Absolutely, so, and and yeah. you've seen that when these sort of smaller ones have come up yeah. and sort of targeted different groups. And like you know, in, in just the U.S., right? I mean, there's like Gab yeah. and Parler and 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 Getter is the new one, and and they're all like they're horrible compared well, to. Well, actually, and we should really be careful in what when we use the <laughs> the adjective better here, right? Like it's it's really better from our perspective as like sure. liberals or at least semi liberals. Um, if you are a nationalist, of, there's many different flavors. It's not just white nationalists. If you go to India, there's like there's Hindu nationalists. Sure, sure. If you go to you know other places, there'll be some <laughs> Islamic nationalists. If you are a nationalist, whatever the flavor you are, you very much do want a platform that's kind of majoritarian and kind of driven by your um, ideology and aesthetics. And it's very frustrating for you if the communication is censored by a group of people that you quote unquote will call woke sitting in San Francisco, right? It's almost like the worst case scenario for you. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that's really frustrates you if you're a nationalist is why are my kids and everybody else's kids on Twitter and Facebook when I give them this beautiful nationalist version of it? <laughs> and, and the reason the kids are, are not on these other versions is because um, the fun, stylish, sexy, entertaining people are on these other platforms and that's what they want to see every day they don't want to see nationalist messages they just they they and and the people who've got this best actually is cpc right like like tiktok they realize like you got to have entertaining people you got to have like beautiful girls you got to have sexy guys you got to have all this stuff and then the communist party of china can come in and throw in a little bit of like um, mao zedong in there right <laughs> so so like you can't just have that but, stuff because nobody's going sure. to gab because gab's a piece of crap right like if you're not talking about white nationalism like why would you go to gab like it's a piece of crap right you go to like tiktok or something else right like no matter what other people say so like but i mean people are gonna like even within the countries even within the nationalists they're gonna really hate it if in 20 years these like um, government control platforms take off because they always assume it, it is a universal thing. Like I've got friends who are nationalists in India, right? And they, the thing they always assume is that they're going to like the leader on top who's going to control sure. the platform. And it, it's such a, it's I like, mean, it's know, so and, silly. And, and there are arguments now, you know, uh, even in the U.S. that that sort of mirror that when people are like, oh, well, let's put put in place these rules you know, for Facebook and Twitter and whatever. And it's just like, how do you think those rules will be interpreted, you know, if Trump yeah. wins in 24? Like, yeah. you know, be real about that. Um, so I, at some point we do need to, to conclude this. I do note that I did say at the beginning we were going to try and do a live call-in. As far as I can tell, and this is the first time we've used this system for this, I believe there's only one person who is watching 
in in here in Riverside who can do the live call in. So I do want to note if that person does want to call in, I, I believe you have a button where you can call in. You can try and do that. If you don't want to, feel free to stay silent. But I do want to make that clear. I believe it'll pop up some notice for me and I can I can bring you into this chat if you would like to. If you would just prefer to, to watch and hang out, that's cool too. Um, so oh, he said he said howdy don't have a mic on this machine. Okay. So. So he's off the hook. <laughs> Got it. Excellent. Um, so, so, uh, so, Dennis, as per usual, we yeah. continue to talk over you. So I, I want to make sure that you, you <laughs> they get said most of me. <laughs> Wait, come on. This is this is the way it has always been. Uh, but but Dennis has insightful things to say too. So, <laughs> is there is there anything that that in this discussion that you feel that we're missing that 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 you want to add? No, I think I got my points in where basically like I think I I I I bring the optimistic kind of starry eyed sometimes naive viewpoint um in terms of like what bad could happen from these things that I'm trying every day. Um and I think that that's sort of what's changed for me is that I think I am more more aware of the potential ramifications that could result from building some of these new tech startups. And I think that it sort of just comes down to this big question is like, how do we actually set up the, um, the incentives in a proper way from either a funding yeah. or a revenue or a customer standpoint, because maybe people, people like maybe customers don't care. Maybe funders don't care about some of these issues when you're trying to build these companies. And I think that that's, I don't know what the answer is. Right. So, um, you know, how do we, how do we build a future and provide the incentives to build this future that we want um, when the current incentives are surviving and fundraising. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and then even, even beyond that, um, you know, I, th I think that, and this is a whole thing that I, I have a, an unwritten rant about um, like how much of the complaints that everybody has about Facebook and Google and Apple and Amazon are really actually driven by wall street and the demands of wall street and how, you know, they have to meet these sort of quarterly numbers. And so, right. you know, focusing on sort of more long-term good is, is frowned upon. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, that's kind of an incentive question as well. I also wonder, frankly, how much of it is like our perspective on this of like being willing to think through the ramifications and the consequences of this is just a consequence of, of us having been around Silicon Valley for this long and, and, and being old and, and whether or not, you know, younger entrepreneurs who are coming to Silicon Valley these days or wherever wherever yeah. they're, they're working from, um, if they're having the same considerations or if they're going to go through the same things in, in 25 years themselves. And, and, and I, and I have this still, I have still the same, I think optimism for the future that I had when I first arrived yeah. here 20 some years ago, like in working with and talking to a lot of like the Gen Z folks that are starting up, like I'm really excited about the way they're viewing the world, the way, you know, maybe they're not as, you know, focus on the same incentives as we were. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that the, the newer generations of entrepreneurs are able to figure out how to, how to align the incentives in a way that is building this, you know, maybe it is a woke, a woke future. Um, I do have a left leaning kind of vision, but I'm still optimistic. And I think that that does, that has not gone, gone away. Yeah. And, and, and I think I'm definitely still very optimistic also, but I, I think that I, I've tried to be a lot clearer in, in how I frame my optimism in that my optimism is not 
that this is inevitable, that the, the good side of everything is inevitable, that there is potential bad side. I think mm-hmm. the op- my optimism is is around there's there's amazing potential here if we can achieve it, and and the focus should be on how do we how do we increase the sort of good elements of this technology and what it can do for people, and how do we minimize the negative impacts of it at the same time, and that that I think takes work. And it's, it's right. not something that just happens automatically. And it's work and it's nuanced. And I think that it's very easy to kind of blame singularly, you know, this concept of tech to bring it back to that initial prompt. Um, and it's nuanced. Well, it's, and I think if yeah. we can seek to understand the nuance of these businesses, of these opportunities, that hopefully gets puts us into a better place in the future. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say it's it's more fun to just blame Mark Zuckerberg oh, and, and easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I, I, I had I, I posted earlier today a, a, a post on Tech Dirt, a, you know, trying to sort of present a nuanced argument about all of the, the recent Wall Street Journal reporting on Facebook um, and and why I don't think Facebook's management is evil, which seems to be the the um, you know, the argument that a bunch of people are making. And I've already had somebody very angry <laughs> at me for saying, like, how can you not think that Mark Zuckerberg is pure evil? And it's like, because reality, right? I right. mean, like, and let us let us think so about what pure evil yeah. means. Like, yeah, it, pe- people usually don't even have a working definition of like what what they want him to do. Yeah, it, it's not. It's well, no, not they do. They do. Here. They want him to do exactly what they would do. Right, that, that's the working. No, but the thing is, when you when you have them talk through yeah. the consequences of what they want him oh, to do, course. then they're like, "Oh, well, I didn't think about that." Like inevitably, <laughs> like e- even the people writing for newspapers that you think would be a lot smarter, um, yeah. If you just if you just walk them through, okay, and then this happens, and then this happens, or or, or even you give them the the license to say, "Do you do you think this would happen?" And they <laughs> inevitably go, "Yeah, you're probably right." And then you just lead them down the road. I've been in these conversations. Yeah. And at the end of that road, they're like, "Oh, okay." But on that one issue, you're right; it's nuanced. But all these other issues, he's still evil. And then you're like, "Well, we could walk through this path <laughs> on the other ones, right?" The dude's rich enough. I'm sure he like isn't just focused on money at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. But anyways, we have uh, taken up an hour, basically. So I think I'm going to uh, call this podcast as, as done. But uh, it's always fun to argue with both of you. <laughs> always fun to have you guys uh, back on the podcast. And we should start having you back on the podcast more, more frequently. Uh, it doesn't, you don't have to be on everyone like we were in the beginning. But uh, it's, it's always good yeah, to have these Glad these to be back. We have, we have arguments, right, Hirsch? We have, we have things we can... Yeah, disagree. On. There, 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 are, there are many arguments, and in fact, we had originally planned to have this discussion be about like NFTs and, and cryptocurrency, in which we are we are in a long thread arguing about, and we will have both of you guys back soon to have that actual discussion. We just didn't think that was right for the three hundredth episode. But uh, thanks, thanks guys for taking the time and having this discussion, and uh, I'm sure we'll continue it in our text messages, and, and uh, we'll have you back soon. And thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to the group of folks who have watched live, uh, whether it is uh, directly on this the podcasting platform or, or on YouTube. Uh, it's an interesting experiment, and it mostly worked. We had a little issue at the beginning which was all entirely my fault because i'm an idiot uh and uh, but that's it but thanks thanks everyone and uh we'll be back with, a, with another podcast next week Bye.